This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council On Air comes to you 6pm Tuesdays here on OR 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Join Lux, Valerie and their special guests to hear the latest from the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council and celebrate unity through diversity. DMEC On Air, 6pm Tuesdays with podcasts available anytime from oar.org.nz, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Good evening, this is Valerie from Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council hosting our weekly radio bit, DMEC on Air and you're listening to this particular section, um, Wonderful Women. So I'm Valerie and nice to meet everyone on this half cold, half not so cold day. It'll be 6 o'clock that you'll be listening to this on Otago Access Radio, that's OAR-FM, and you can get a recording of this podcast on their website, that's oar.org.nz. You can find out a little bit more about DMEC from our website, dmec.org.nz, or look us up on Facebook, Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council Celebrating Diversity. So, hello everybody, and it's nice to talk to you again. Um, I'm not sure if many of us will remember a month ago we were beginning to discuss an essay, um, written, um, an essay from the New Zealand History website. It is, it talks about immigration, ethnicity, and women's organizations. And it's an essay written by Jacqueline Leckie and first published in Women Together, a history of women's organizations in New Zealand in 1993 and updated a few years ago by uh, Rachel Simon Kumar in 2018. Uh, last time we talked, we discussed migration. We discussed um, the transition of women, um, immigration, people who women who migrate transitioning from dealing with problems of immigrants to addressing the changing needs of women and how these women begin to assist women in expressing their cultural identity and we stopped um at the point where we were talking about how these women organizations have um, specific purposes on assisting or promoting cultural identity through sharing craft skills. And it's kind of moving from the flavor of the article is moving from one of migration, um, stats, people coming into New Zealand, it's and moving from a survive kind of feel to a thrive kind of feel where now people have moved in and over the next few decades or even a century or two century of two maybe a century over the next few decades figuring out how to thrive um in another country so another reason one that's frequently given for forming immigrant and ethnic women groups is to combat loneliness and that is of course not an experience that's just unique to immigrant women but one which is often intensified when living in a different society learning a new language, having only remote support from family. 
So immigrants from cultures relatively similar to New Zealand could also experience loneliness, of course. And in fact, the first president of the New Plymouth Scottish Women's Club stated one of his objectives was to help each other feel at home and welcome Scottish sisters coming to town. And this became reflected in the club's motto, to try to be one big happy family. Um, another group, such as the Overseas Wives Clubs, was established after the Second World War, um, primarily as a means through which women could meet others from a similar cultural background. Um, not so about cultural, but in a similar situation, a psychosocial situation. In this case, marriage to New Zealanders, they had met through the atypical circumstances of war. These women faced the problems not of just resettlement, but also of living with someone who was familiar with New Zealand cultural patterns, but not with theirs. And from 1980s, a small number of Filipinas, most of whom had arranged to marry New Zealand men, began to form support group. Women's religious fellowships were also among the most common and often earliest types of organizations to provide social support and spiritual and secular activities for immigrant women, particularly where the church played a central role within an ethnic community. And in those times, men were often more accepting of women's organizations which were attached to a church. Um, often ethnically based women's church fellowships were the source from which other women's groups and activities um, arise. The greatest diversity of women fellowships arose among Pacific people beginning in 1954 in the Pacific Islands Congregational Church in Auckland. For many immigrant women, church fellowships continued an institution which has existed in their home country. For example, the Association of Auckland Chinese Presbyterian Women's Fellowship in 1955 was similar to fellowships women joined in the Chinese treaty ports. Women's fellowships within the Lutheran Church would have been important to 19th century Scandinavian and German settlers, as they were to women who emigrated after the Second World War, including members of the Dutch Reformed Church. Originally, women within the Greek Orthodox Church in Wellington did not have a separate fellowship, but by the 1950s they had established the Greek Ladies Philoptikos Society. At first, the priest was the president, but when he bowed out of his role, the organization changed its name to the Greek Ladies Auxiliary. The group raised funds for the church and the Greek community. In addition to other welfare and social activities, by the early 1990s, its activities had become more circular, such as holding an art and craft exhibition in 1991. Religious fellowships were not confined to the church and Christians. Some of the earliest non-Christian women groups in New Zealand were the Women's Synagogue Auxiliaries. These expanded and become, became coordinated through the Union. Um, later, Council of Jewish Women founded in 1929. The Indian Women's Manila Samaj was formed in the early 1970s, partly to organize religious festivals. And in 1990, the National Council of Islamic Women, part of the Federation of Islamic Associations of New Zealand, was formed. Muslim women, however, represented not one, but more than 45 different nationalities. Their numbers considerably increased following the Fiji coups. From the 1980s, a small group of refugee Baha'i women from Iran also met in Auckland.
and most of the discussion thus far has been talking about migration and immigration. However, refugees are also, or former refugees often are part of this group of migrated women. And they often have little choice in their final destination. And after arrival, there may be few family, village or cultural networks in that country. This particularly applied prior to the early 1970s when refugee and government agencies favoured an assimilationist policy. So, assimilation versus integration. And what that resulted in is isolation, loneliness and confusion. All common immigrant experiences were intensified intensified for women who had undergone the trauma of war, lost their family, lived in refugee camps, and then been resettled in an unknown country with very few or no kin, church or social networks, including women groups. And imagine again, um, f- people who move to countries as refugees don't choose to be there and often are even more unprepared and have more difficulties than people who choose to move. Kolopolek, the Polish Women's League in Wellington, was one of the few refugee women's groups in New Zealand in 1990s. The Union of Jewish Women also assisted refugees. In 1988, Refugee Action Group was formed in Wellington to deal with the particular problems faced by former refugee women. It centered on a monthly meeting of a small core group of women of differing deferring origins, as well as women working with former refugees. Membership in 1992 included women from Cambodia, Vietnam, Sri Lanka, Iraq, Iran, Hungary, Chile, Czechoslovakia, and New Zealand. The group liaised on behalf of former refugee women with government agencies, especially the Ministry of Women's Affairs, to address problems such as the lack of childcare for Cambodian women attending English English language classes. The Mother's Class, a weekly community-based class held at the Wellington Multicultural Institute from 1975, also constituted a former refugee women support group. In general, though, um, ethnic minorities within New Zealand generally avoided any overtly political agenda and women groups often followed this pattern as well. This is reflect this reflected the preoccupation of new groups with adjustment to the new society, a lack of confidence in the public arena, and discrimination when they did seek to become involved in public affairs. Um, that's not to say that some ethnic associations didn't lobby at a political level. Um, though, another factor of political involvement was that at the time it was considered a male activity within certain cultures. Well, in New Zealand too. During the Second World War, groups such as the Auckland Yugoslav Ladies Social Committee and the New Plymouth Scottish Women's Club raised money for the Allied war effort and patriotic events and Chinese women formed groups within the All-New Zealand Save China Association to raise funds for relief in China. The Union of Jewish Women sent relief to Jewish refugees and coordinated the activities of the New Zealand branch of the Women's International Zionist Organization. Some Pacific women's groups, such as the Fono Atama Samoa, 
Samoan Council of Women, founded in 1973, did aim to take on a lobbying role, especially in immigration matters affecting Samoans. Kola Polak promoted the special needs of some Polish people here, such as the elderly. And like many ethnic associations, they also advocated that national super national superannuation be made portable to other countries. Several ethnic groups had women's sports teams. Some of the earliest were for basketball and tennis among Chinese Presbyterian women. In 1948, they inaugurated the first national Chinese sports tournaments to celebrate double tenth, 10th of October, which is China's National Day. Pacific communities also established women's sports teams, both through the church and within ethnically-based sporting associations, beginning in the early 1950s with basketball. Indian sports clubs presented a strong women's hockey contingent from the early 1970s, although these teams received an initially cooling, cool reception within the clubs. Their formation resulted in a break from the tradition of women being honorary members only through family membership. Once Indian sportswomen became financial members, they began to take a much greater role in club administration and activities. The number of ethnically based women's sports teams increased as populations grew, and they appealed particularly to younger women and had an important social role and often played a major part in fundraising activities for their ethnic community. When it came to welfare of the ethnic community, most ethnic women's groups, especially church fellowships, featured a concern for the welfare of their community that was often expressed through fundraising and other voluntary work. The Greek ladies Philoctophus, Philoctocus sorry, society was originally established as the Friends of the Poor, although this was not always its primary activity. Social service was important in the Union of Jewish Women formed during the Depression, and Pacific women were the most active, especially after the mid-1980s, through implementing grassroots programs dealing with health, domestic violence, and child abuse. The scale of welfare activities reflected the size of these communities and the extent to which they were adversely affected in health, welfare, and employment. The establishment of women's group to tackle these issues suggests that they had not been adequately addressed by outside agencies. Also, many Pacific women were reluctant to seek assistance and information outside their own communities. The Pacific Islands Women's Project, which became the Pacific Islands Women's Health Project in 1993, um, coordinated several women's groups dealing with family health and violence. Among ethnic women groups, these represented the strongest articulation of a feminist perspective aimed at empowering women, although at times critical of some behavior and values within Pacific communities. These groups emphasized working within a Pacific cultural framework, um, and most established organizations, such as Pacifica, took a proactive role in promoting issues concerning Pacific women's health from the late 1980s. In the early 1980s, the, the term woman of color was adopted by some lesbian and feminists who identified as non-white Tawiwi. 
Many women of color were actively involved in their own cultural communities as well as in lesbian and feminist communities. In the predominantly Pakiha lesbian and feminist communities, women of color and lesbians of color at times felt excluded and unacknowledged in their dual identities. In response, they met and established groups that embraced their identities as feminists, as lesbians, and as being of color in a white-dominated society. A Wellington-based women of color group which met in the 1983-1984 included Indian, Chinese, Samoan, and Maori lesbian and heterosexual feminists. In 1986, a gathering for Chinese lesbians was held at the Wellington Lesbian Club. This group broadened into a lesbians of color group as women from other non-white ethnic origins like Samoan, Cook Islands, Parsi, Fijian became involved. They met monthly for friendship, support, and polit political discussion, sharing resources, knowledge, and food. Of course, food. The group was most active between 1989 and 1991. Its members felt that it helped to strengthen the solidar solidarity, solidarity. I'm really bad at this word. Solidarity and increase the visibility of lesbians of color. Um, a number of historical and cultural factors do bear upon why separate women's groups formed in only some immigrant or ethnic populations here. Um, the marked differences in patterns of migration between different groups may have been important in determining whether women's groups develop. So generally, groups are more likely to form along among chain migrants, that is where immigrants in New Zealand encouraged and assisted their kin and fellow villagers to join them. This pattern applied particularly to Chinese, Indian, Yugoslavs, Greeks, and Pacific women, all of whom formed women's groups. By contrast, refugee women often found themselves part of an ethnic group with which they had few kin or local connections. But although migration from the same locality where women had close cultural and kin ties seemed to have been more conducive to the establishment of women's organizations, it doesn't account for their slow and restricted development. A major factor was whether such organizations were an accepted and valued part of the society the immigrants came from. Although all societies have specific gender roles, not all have formalized women's groups. So by far the greatest diversity of formal and informal ethnic women's associations in New Zealand prior to 1993 was found among Pacific women. This was not simply because of the size of the Pacific communities. It also reflected the existence of strong women's associations in the Pacific Islands. These were related to the high degree of communal and hierarchical organization within many Polynesian villages and the pivotal role of the Christian churches. The range of activities and the power of the women's groups varied among the different island groups and had also undergone changes since the introduction of Christianity and a cash economy. In, 1990, in 1977, Penelope Schofield pointed out that Western Samoa was one of the few nations where there were strong multifunctional women's associations, which were a major social institution. Though the missionaries in Western Samoa weakened the identity of existing women's groups, they promoted women's auxiliary associations within the churches. Deacons' wives um, played a prominent role in organizing, organizing women to cater for the needs of the minister and to raise funds for the church. 
both church and state then encourage the formation of women's health and village community committees throughout most of the Pacific Islands. These had a formal structure with an elected committee and in many villages, adult women may be fine if they did not take part. Besides these formal structures, women organized their own communal activities for gardening, fishing, crafts, cooking, childcare and income generating projects. Women's groups in Asia were not usually as formally organized, nor did they play such a major role in village affairs. The timing and context of migration were also important in determining whether women's groups were acceptable. Many Manning notes that Chinese women from patriarchal Confucian background were unlikely to have encountered women's organizations. Um, most Cambodian women migrants originated from peasant communities where they had played a central but not necessarily equal role in the family economy. The value of this role dis- diminished for new arrivals to New Zealand, where the women often became dependent upon their husband's income or were welfare beneficiaries. And this article states that such women were unlikely to form their own new organizations. However, some women migrants from India was fami- f- were familiar with Mahila Samaj, or with women's groups promoted by Gandhian nationalists. These groups were active in community, social and religious activities in many of the villages and cities of Gujarat, the area from which the majority of Indian migrants came from. The acceptance role and status of women's groups also depended on whether women originated from rural or urban areas and on their education and class backgrounds. A crucial factor may have been whether it was acceptable for men and women unrelated by kin to socialize together. Where this was so, separate women's groups were less likely to form. Um, There were few separate women's organizations within the Dutch clubs, where activities were generally open to both men and women. David McGill suggested that Welsh settlers had a progressive attitude towards women, although women were among the founders of the Wellington Welsh Society in 1907 and Auckland Welsh Society in 1925. There there were no separate um, women's groups. So, on the other hand, cultures accustomed to strongly sex-segregated activities do not always consider it acceptable for women to form their own organization. And... A crucial factor may have been the public role accorded to women. Within communities where women were expected to lead a secluded lifestyle, women's organizations were inhibited by their reluctance to socialize or attend meetings without their partners, or they had to overcome their husband's opposition to the group. Women's participation in activities outside the family sometimes led to fears of too much independence. Women may have had more scope to socialize publicly in their place of origin, particularly if it was a small town or village than it was in New Zealand. And we are up to time now. So we would be continuing this article. I find it fascinating as it has to do with women, migration, ethnicity, culture and organizations and how that plays a large role in society and the development of New Zealand as a country. And it's a really interesting paper written. Um, 
today we talked a little bit about feminism and men and women groups and the different cultural backgrounds and how that influences women organizations as they are founded in New Zealand. And over the next week, over the next month, um, when I see you again, there would be a bit more talking of how that then begins to change within New Zealand as New Zealand became more and more familiar with cultural diversity um, and the rise in migration and other related information. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so thank you for listening in to me. I'm Valerie from Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council. You're listening to us on DMEC On Air on this channel, Wonderful Women, hosted by ORFM. That's Otago SS Radio FM. You can get their podcast at or.org.nz, oar.org.nz. You can find out more about DMEC at dmec.org.nz or on Facebook, Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council, Celebrating Diversity. Thank you for listening in at 6pm on a Tuesday and I'll see you in a month's time. Bye-bye. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.